Well, if you will, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. That is our text uh, this Lord's Day as we continue to walk through God's Word together. If you are uh, visiting with us today, uh, we are walking through the book of Genesis. We've been in it for some time now. And uh, if you were with us last Lord's Day, you'll understand when I say I'm glad we're not doing a five-part series on Genesis 38. Uh, there is all kinds of wickedness and unfaithfulness in that chapter, and uh, we went through it last week, and I'm glad we just did it in one week and can move on to Genesis 39. Uh, but as we went through Genesis 38, I shared uh, why, I think in part, that God's Spirit uh, placed that chapter in the Bible. Uh, it's a picture of unfaithfulness. It's a picture specifically of one of Jacob's sons, Judah, and how he was unfaithful, and, and where his sin eventually took him, and the things it took him to do, and how it affected others. It's important to look at that as we now look at Genesis 39, because in Genesis 39, you see a picture of faithfulness with Joseph. But if we're not careful, we tend to look at people like Joseph in the Scripture, almost as if they're not real people. We tend to look at them sometimes kind of like they're characters. And so when we read about Joseph being faithful, we don't consider the temptations he dealt with. We don't consider the environment of sin that was all around him. So it's helpful to see how others in his same family, a brother who grew up in the same home as him, Judah, how when put in his own set of circumstances, he falls and he sins. And then we see Joseph go through, I believe, so much more, and yet he walks with the Lord. These are good examples before us as we consider what does it mean to walk in faith for us today. Because if you've not faced challenges already to walking in faith, you will. Uh, you will find many things in this world, many things in life that will attempt to pull you away from this walk of faith. And so we need to equip ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves. And we do that by looking at God's word together. Uh, if you're new with us, if you're visiting today, something else you'll learn is that I like to make people stand up a lot. And so, out of reverence for the Word of God, if you would stand as I read Genesis 39 for us, as we consider what God's Word has to say to us this Lord's Day. Remember, this is the Word of God to His people, and we should receive it as such. And this is what it says. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt in Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. 
He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except for yourself because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until... His master came home and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and in whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. If you would pray with me. Father God, this is your word that you inspired to be penned generations ago. That the church throughout history would learn from it. And so I pray we would learn today what it means to walk in faith, to trust in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We live in a... A day and age where in about a day's time you can, you can get about anywhere you want to in the world. You can, you can send about anything you want from point A to point B. And you can get there rather quickly. But there was a day, not so long ago, when all of these uh, transportation advances and all these inventions weren't available. And if you wanted to get something to point A to, from point A to point B, it took a great amount of time. One of the means that things were transported by years ago uh, were ships, especially along the coastlands. If you wanted to move things from the southern part of the United States to the northern part of the United States or vice versa, they would be loaded up on ships. They'd be transported along the eastern coast. In order to move from the north to the south or south to the north, you had to go around an area of North Carolina called the Outer Banks. If you've ever been to the Outer Banks or looked at a map of North Carolina, you know they're called the Outer Banks because they're the Outer Banks. They, they stick way out there along the east coast. And to go around that took some time. So some, so some shipmen were tempted at times to try to find a shortcut, try to cut their way in through the islands. One is a shortcut, and two, because sometimes the seas were rather rough, and, and they'd go into calmer waters. One of the ways they would try to find these shortcuts, these routes, was, 
was by watching the, the lanterns on the ships in front of them. And as they were going along the coast, if they noticed those lanterns off in the distance, they saw those ships bobbing up and down. They knew, well, I can follow that lantern and I can find my way to a shortcut to calmer waters. What most of them did not realize then at the time is that along that area of the Outer Banks, those were not shortcuts and those were not ships in front of them. And they were pirates. Uh, they were men referred to later as wreckers who didn't have ships, they had mules and horses. And they would take these horses and they would tie lanterns around their necks and they would walk them up and down the dunes along the coast of the Outer Banks so that the ships would think that was another ship signaling them, you can come this way. They would turn and as they turned and went in, they would soon find themselves wrecking onto the shore. And then these pirates, these wreckers, would plunder those ships and would rob them of all their goods. In fact, you can still go to the Outer Banks today. In one specific town, you can see a few homes that were built out of the wreckage of these ships. It's a city called Nags Head. And it got its name after those horses, those nags, who around their head hung those lanterns, those lamps. It's estimated that about 2,300 ships met their demise along the coast there, many from these wreckers. You consider that for a moment. A ship that had a course in front of it, and if it had just stayed the course as it was told to do, it would arrive at its destination, but it got tempted along the way to take a shortcut. It got tempted along the way to find calmer waters. And as it made that turn towards the lantern, it found its demise, it found its end. I think that's an illustration in part of what it is for us, for you and I today, to walk in faith. You see, as we walk in faith, as we trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we too are tempted at times to turn aside. And we're tempted at times by those lanterns that display themselves and say, come over here, it's a lot easier. Come this way, it's a shortcut. Before we know it, we find that it's neither. And we find ourselves in troubled waters. See, God has called us to stay the course. He has called us to walk by faith. And we know that there are so many who start out strong, but they end up shipwrecked. We saw a picture of one last week when we looked at Genesis 38. A picture of one of Joseph's brothers, Judah. Judah, who would have grown up in the same home as Joseph, who would have received the same teaching as Joseph, who, like Joseph, would have been taught about the one true God and the call to walk by faith in that God, and yet Judah did what? First verse of Genesis 38 says that he turned aside. He turned his head towards wickedness. He went to a wicked people, and he became a part of doing wicked things. He followed that lantern in the distance, and it cost him greatly. You and I have an opportunity today to learn from one whose ship was wrecked and to learn from one who stayed the course in hopes that as we look to both of them, we might understand better the gospel and understand what it means to walk in faith and understand that as we seek to walk by faith, we will encounter many obstacles, we will encounter Many barriers, and we need to prepare ourselves, church, for those things. 
Because if you have not faced them yet, you will face them. We need to ask ourselves questions like the first one I put in your notes there. Number one, are you prepared? Am I prepared? Are we prepared to walk by faith when we encounter worldliness? By worldliness, I mean those distractions of the world, the, the sin the world holds, so many things that can distract us from walking by faith. Our environments, the things around us. We have to prepare ourselves because while you may be in an atmosphere today where perhaps you, you're in a Christian home, perhaps you have Christian family members, Perhaps you're in a community where lots of people around you are believers. That that may not always be the case. Life changes. Things happen. And when they do, are you ready to stay the course? We see in front of us one today who I believe was ready and did stay the course in Joseph. The scripture tells us in verse 1 here of chapter 39 that, that Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And that speaks volumes to those of us who've been walking through this book because we know Egypt is a picture in the Scripture of of sin. It's a picture in the Scripture of wickedness. It's a picture to remind us where it is Joseph has come from. Remember, Joseph was born into a promised family and a promised land. Joseph was born into a family of Jacob who God had said would, would rule over the promised land. And so, while he was away from it for some time, he, he gathers his family up, including young Joseph, and he brings them back to the land of promise, and he raises them there. And even though Joseph is one of his younger children, Joseph is the one the Scripture tells us that his father chooses, that his father trusts to manage his household. And that choosing, that that trusting, that appointment of Joseph enrages his siblings. Siblings who we've looked at in the Scripture as people who were very unfaithful. People who didn't trust in the Lord. And so as they see this one who does, they're they're enraged and they want to kill him. They get to a point of agreement though where they decide rather than kill him, they're going to profit from his demise by selling him into slavery. And so they do that. And then they go back home and they tell their father he's been sold, excuse me, he's dead. And his father mourns and his father weeps. And Judah, one of his brothers, just doesn't want to be around it anymore. And so he goes down among wicked people and does wicked things. And that's what we're left with. Except there's another part of this story going on. Joseph, of course, is not really dead. His brothers think that they've done this wicked thing and they've won the day and yet God is still sovereign and in control. And in His sovereignty, He places Joseph in Egypt. But you think about what a change that would be for Joseph. You see, in Egypt, they didn't worship the one true God. They worshipped a plurality of gods. They worshipped gods like Ptah, the god of creation. They worship gods like Taha, the god of the moon, or Ray, the god of the sun, or Newt, the sky goddess, or Shu and Geb and Nu, the gods of the air. All these creative names for creative gods that they would invent and come up with. And not only did they worship them, they made sacrifices to them. And so if your, your livelihood depent on farming, on a harvest and the harvest wasn't coming in like you needed it to come in, then, then you would make a sacrifice to the sky god. And you'd ask him for rain. 
And if that didn't rain, didn't come from the sky god, maybe you make a sacrifice to the sun god, or you make a sacrifice to the, the god of the earth, or all these different false deities. And if sacrificing your, your prized livestock didn't work, they'd even sacrifice their own children. And that's where Joseph is at. A little bit different than where he grew up. A little bit different than, than the home he was in, than, than being the son of Jacob who trusted in and believed in the one true God. Now, Joseph is in a land of people who worship false gods. And the question then for Joseph is, will he remain faithful in this place? See, it's not hard to be faithful as much when you're surrounded by faithful people. It's not so challenging when you come to church on Sunday and everybody sings, great is that faithfulness, for you to sing, great is that faithfulness. But take all those others away and land in the middle of wickedness and evil, the middle of those who don't know the one true God, and will you sing it as loudly? To take all that away and land in the middle of a time of suffering in your own life and loss in your own life and trial and tribulation in your own life. And will you still sing those words? That's what it means to walk by faith. And that's exactly what we see Joseph do. He's brought into this Egyptian officer's house, Potiphar, and, and we see a picture of him being faithful. In fact, Joseph is so faithful in the context of Genesis 38 that everybody around him, around him notices his faithfulness. These pagan, wicked people in Egypt see him, see how committed he is to God, see how faithful he is, and they begin to promote him. And he succeeds. Now again, remember, he's still a slave. But Potiphar puts him in charge of everything that he has. And there's no indication here that Potiphar somehow repents or puts his faith in the one true God. But there's every indication that God is faithful to Joseph and is blessing even those wicked people around Joseph because of Joseph's faithfulness. And you just pause to consider that for a moment. You think about the context of our day. You think about the wickedness around us. Do the unbelievers look at us and say, my goodness, I don't know so much about this God you serve, but man, I think God's actually blessing me because of you. Or do they look at us with contempt? We have here a picture of one who was so committed and so faithful to God that God blesses him and he blesses those around him and he does it in the midst of everything around him changing. How do you do when everything around you changes? Again, it's one thing to trust in God when the paycheck keeps coming. But, but what about when it stops? It's one thing to trust in God when your kids are doing well. But, but what about when they're not? It's one thing to trust in God when you go get your annual checkup and the doctor says, well, you know, you need to cut back on sugar a little bit and maybe lose a few pounds, but otherwise you're okay. It's a lot different when they say, I need you to go see this specialist. There's some things here that don't look good. It's one thing to walk out of the hospital two days after your baby's born, holding them, showing them off, loving on them. 
another thing, two days after they're born, to look at them and they've got tubes and wires and everything coming out of them and you don't know how things are going to turn out. See, friends, circumstances change. The question is, when they do, will you remain faithful? Or will you turn the first sight of a lantern and say, I need smoother waters? Question two. Are you prepared to walk by faith when you encounter temptation? Probably what is most known and talked about from Genesis 39 is this encounter he has with Potiphar's wife. The scripture says that Joseph is very handsome in appearance. At this point in Joseph's life, he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. Uh, Down the road, in just another chapter or two, we're going to see him put in charge of the Pharaoh's house. At that point, the scripture says he's 30 years old. We know he spends some number of years in prison. So at this point, Joseph's in his early, maybe mid-20s. He's a faithful young man serving the Lord. God's blessing him. And there's this one who sees him. And she desires him. And so she invites him into this immoral encounter. Again, you you, you contrast this with Judah. (laughs) Judah, who we learned last week, he, he went looking for sin. He went looking to be tempted. He went knocking on sin's door. Here we have Joseph being faithful, serving the Lord. And yet the enemy is not content with our faithfulness and he will put Many temptations in our path. And we see one great temptation he puts before Joseph and Potiphar's wife, who not just one time, but on multiple occasions, makes a proposal to him and invites him into sin. And invites him to come in and in a way towards the end there where nobody else is around, nobody else is going to know about it. Joseph, it's just me and you here. And the question for us is, Will Joseph remain faithful when confronted with such temptation? And he does. Unlike his brother Judah, Joseph stands firm. In fact, Joseph at one point is so intent on not sinning that he doesn't even consider that he's left his robe behind. He just flees and he gets out of there. He doesn't stop after a couple steps to say, oh, wait a second, I've left my robe here and that's going to look a certain way and I need to be worried about that. No, he just is in the midst of temptation to sin and he runs, he flees from it. And yet, we don't think we need to flee, do we? So often we're tempted to sin and we think, well, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty strong, I'll be okay. I don't need to do anything radical here. (laughs) Don't want to go overboard. After all, I mean, everybody struggles with something. and I mean, everybody sins. And gosh, everybody knows about so-and-so and and what they do. This isn't nearly that. Nobody's really going to know about this anyways. Nobody's going to find out. I'll be okay. Before we know it, we're shipwrecked. Here we have a picture of Joseph who's, who's walking in faith and who's trusting in the Lord. So different than Judah, so different than so many examples we see in the Scripture. I think one of the most vivid examples of what it means to fall into temptation and where that temptation takes us is in Proverbs chapter 7. In Proverbs chapter 7, you've got Solomon. 
who, who at that point in time is the wisest man in the world. God has given him the gift of wisdom. And he tells this story. He says, I, I looked out through my window. And as I looked out through it, he says there in Proverbs 7, I saw a young man lacking sense. And he describes the steps of that young man and he talks about how he, he wanders into a place he shouldn't be and he, he engages in this conversation with somebody he shouldn't be with, a woman who's married to another man and yet she's inviting him, much like Potiphar's wife is inviting Joseph into this immoral relationship. And what Proverbs 7 recounts for us is what we see time and time again throughout the Scripture. It's what I shared with you last week. Sin will always cost us more than we ever thought we'd pay. And it will take us to places we never thought we'd go. Proverbs 7 ends this way. A very vivid picture of what happens to this young man lacking sense. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, or as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Friend, that's where sin takes us. It might just look like a little shiny light right now saying, come over here. Things are smoother over here. There's a shortcut here. You don't need to wait any longer. Shipwrecked. Done. Over. But it doesn't have to be that way. We have a picture here of one who walks in faith in the midst of worldliness, in the midst of temptation. But it doesn't mean everything goes perfect for him. See, sometimes when, when we do the right thing, sometimes when we say no to sin, we suffer greatly. Sometimes when we do that, we, we lose a lot more than a robe. And Joseph certainly did, which brings us to the last point here in your notes. The question, are you prepared to walk by faith when you encounter suffering? See, Joseph here does the right thing. Joseph here flees from sin. Joseph runs. But Potiphar's wife now is so angry towards Joseph, or perhaps she's needing to explain what's taking place. Either way, she lies about him. She says that he was the one who pursued her, that, that she resisted, that she yelled for help, and when she did, that he fled. And to convince others of her story, look, I've got his robe here. It's so clear what this Hebrew did that you brought into this house. And so Potiphar, the Scripture says, it, his anger is kindled at this point, And he puts Joseph in prison. And you think about this from Joseph's perspective for a moment. Here is Joseph at 17 years old. His father says to him, Son, I've got a job for you. I know your brothers don't like you very much. I know that there's not peace between you. I know it's dangerous for you to go out on a journey, but Joseph, I need you to do something for me. I need you to travel to where they are, and I need you to bring back a report to me, because Joseph, you're the only one I can really trust. I know you're faithful, son. And I know God's faithful, and He's going to watch over you, and I need you to come tell me what's going on. And so Joseph, being faithful to the call of his father, he goes. 
And he walks right into the anger and the hatred of his brothers who take him and bind him and throw him into a pit. You read the latter part of Genesis and we get more information on this encounter that that Joseph at that point, he is begging them to let him go. He he is calling out to his brothers, listen, I won't tell dad what you did. (laughs) I won't say a word about this, just get me out of this pit. I will never speak of these things. But they wouldn't do that. They would look for ways to profit from it. And so then they would sell him into slavery. And then he, he would take likely years between that point and when he ends up in Potiphar's house or surrounded by wickedness and false gods and false idols. But there God would bless him. He, he would rise to a position of authority even as a slave within that house. Only to have another in her hatred towards him and her lies about him throw him right back into another pit, into a dungeon. And perhaps at this point he's thinking, it's over. (laughs) Potiphar's going to take my head for this. If that's you, if that's me, how faithful would we be at that moment? I'm thinking for a lot of us about this time we throw in the towel. (laughs) All right, God, I'm done. I've seen people throw in the towel who've suffered a lot less than this, for sure. And I've been tempted to throw in the towel over much less myself. You see, we tend to think about God as if He owes us something, as if, well, I've up upheld my end of the bargain, God, and now you need to do yours. God, God, I've been faithful to you. Now you need to be faithful to me. And then when God doesn't seem to be faithful to us in the way we want His faithfulness, we protest and we wave the white flag and we say, you know what, I'm, I'm done. We might not say it out loud, but many times in those moments we think, I, I deserve better than this, God. We might not say it, but there's times we think, God, you, you owe me. We may not say it, but there are many times in those moments when we're suffering, when we're in the pit, when we're in the dungeon of life, where we start to even wonder, God, are you even there? But here we have a picture of one who is faithful. And the question is, are we prepared to be faithful in those moments? It's easy to be faithful when everybody's singing, great is thy faithfulness. It's a lot harder in the midst of the storm. I've shared before how uh, Sandy and I for years lived in a home where we had these two uh, enormous Bradford pear trees in front of our house. Huge trees, full branches, just these thick trees. They looked real nice until we had strong storms that came through one July. (laughs) And if you've had big, tall Bradford pears, you know in strong storms what happens. They fall down quickly. And when they fall down, they don't leave enormous holes in the earth where their roots were. The reason they fall down is because their roots are so shallow to begin with. And when a storm comes, when the wind blows, because their roots are shallow, they go down. In life, Storms come. And storms don't cause us to have a shallow faith. Storms reveal 
that our faith was shallow already. Storms reveal what's really there. There are people who say, oh no, everything was good, and then this happened, and then I did this. No, this thing that happened revealed what was there to begin with. And here's the thing, friends. When the storm comes, the tree can't say, I better go ahead and grow some roots today. (laughs) You don't grow roots in the middle of a storm. But the storm certainly reveals whether the roots are there. Are they? That's the question we have from Joseph's life, I believe, in the text. A question of, are we prepared to walk in faith despite the worldliness around us, despite the temptations around us, despite the reality that we will suffer? And the Scripture screams at us today, it is possible to walk in faith in the midst of these things. But it's not because of Joseph. See, if you walk out of here thinking, well, if I could just be more like Joseph, then I'd be okay, then you will miss something great. Because Joseph himself is a light in the distance pointing us towards a much greater light. Joseph is pointing us towards one who not only dealt with worldliness, but the Scripture says he overcame the world and in him we can overcome the world as well. Joseph points us towards one who the Scripture says was tempted in every way that we would experience temptation, and yet he knew no sin. Joseph is a light that points us toward the one who suffered more than any of us could imagine suffering. And the Scripture says when we suffer, we identify not only with him and his suffering, but we are comforted by Him and His comfort. Joseph points us towards Jesus. And that's why today, in bringing all this together, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. That's why today, we don't have a supper to commemorate Joseph. (laughs) And we don't say, well, we think Joseph probably ate this when he was imprisoned by Potiphar, so we're going to eat this meal today, and we're going to think about what it was like to be Joseph, because man, Joseph had such great faith, and if we could have that faith too... Though even Joseph's faith fell short. Just like you and I, our faith will fall short. But we are to trust in the one who never fell short. We are to trust in the one who even when we are not faithful, he is faithful to us. And and that's why we have this meal together. You're not going to get full on this. You got a graduate in your family, you're still going to go down there and eat. You're not going to drink this little thimble and say, well, I don't need to drink anything else today. Eat this cracker and say, "Woo!" We do this because it reminds us of something. It reminds us of the body of Christ that was broken for us. It reminds us of the blood of Christ that was poured out for us. It reminds us that there will be a day when we do sit at a table where we will no longer thirst and we will no longer hunger. Where there is no more worldliness to deal with and no more temptation to deal with and certainly no suffering to deal with. It's a day of glory and a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus said between this day when he was there with the disciples and that day, we share this together and we proclaim him until he comes back. And so I want to invite our deacons to come forward to prepare to distribute the elements of the Lord's Supper out. And as they do that, I want to remind you and invite you if you are a confessing follower of Jesus Christ, 
If you come to that point in your life where you have acknowledged your sin and repented and placed your faith fully in Jesus and you are following Him, then we invite you to participate in this meal with us. To receive.